You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's good to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the first six verses, and we'll be talking about the importance of not losing heart. But before we do, I want to just let you know about three quick ways that you can help support this podcast if this is something that you appreciate and want to continue. And the first is if you go to our website, pastor.us, you can become a monthly contributor, and we're asking if people would consider chipping in a dollar a month to help cover the hosting and production costs. A second way that you can help out is by taking a look at some of the resources that we have available on pastor.us. There's a variety of books that I've written that are for sale there, and if you have an opportunity and something there interests you by making a purchase, you're also supporting this ministry. And if you wouldn't mind, leaving a rating or review on iTunes is a great way to help this podcast or any of the other podcasts that you listen to. When you leave a a rating or a review on iTunes, iTunes tends to give a bit of a push to podcasts that have user ratings. So if you're interested, those are a few ways that we suggest that you could help support this ministry or ministries like this. Now, as I mentioned, today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at the first six verses. This this concept that it brings up here is the idea of not losing heart in the work that the Lord has given you to do. And I was reminded this week of something that had to do with hearts that my daughter told me about just a few years ago. Uh, the way I was reminded of this, my son has been recording a bunch of videos, and he asked me if it would be possible for him to get a better camera. And when he asked me that, it dawned on me that I actually had a camera that wasn't being used. We used to use the the thing a lot prior to uh, our cell phones being able to take great video. And before I gave it to him, I, I just looked at it to see if there was any family video on that camera that I wanted to get off of there and not lose. And I discovered that there were that there was about two hours of video from uh, about five years ago. And uh, so I started watching it, and I made sure to get it all off the camera and save it somewhere else. But I came across some videos of my youngest daughter when she was in kindergarten. And the way it worked when she was in kindergarten, because my wife was substitute teaching at the time, my youngest daughter would come to work with me. And so I would bring her with me over to the church. And then after a little while, I realized that that's pretty boring for a five-year-old. And so what I would do, uh, since she had afternoon kindergarten, was I would work from my dining room table, and she would watch TV or read or do something fun or play with her toys. And then I would make her lunch, and then I'd bring her to school, and then I'd go to my office. And I remember pretty early in that year, she looked at me when I was making her sandwich, and she said, Dad, is there any chance you could cut my sandwich in the shape of a heart? And I looked at her and I said, you want it to be in the shape of a heart? And she said, yeah, could you do that? And I was like, well, yeah, I could do that. Why do you want it in the shape of a heart? And she said, this was her reason. This is, fifth, uh, this is five-year-old logic. She said, <laughs> I'd like it in a heart because that's the way Care Bears eat their sandwiches. <laughs> So I don't know if that's actually true or not. Someone actually did tell me recently that that was true, but I have no way to uh, uh, verify that myself. But it it made me laugh, and I, I thought it was funny. And when we look at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, 
we could see that this is a portion of Scripture that talks in multiple contexts about the heart, about just the, the core of a person. And you have the Apostle Paul encouraging us by his example and by his testimony not to lose heart. So this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're reading along with me, I'll be looking at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to spend some time looking at it today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 4, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that by your grace that we would grow in our relationship with you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us in your power to apply these truths to our lives. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tiny bit of background here real quick on the book of 2 Corinthians. I've been speaking on the book of 2 Corinthians right now at my church, and uh, as we've been studying it, one of the things I've been trying to do is just make the context in which this book was um, delivered or written clear. And uh, the book of 2 Corinthians has been described as the most emotional letter that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. We have this church in Corinth that brought Paul great joy, but they also had a habit of breaking his heart. Uh, when you read the first letter to the Corinthians, you have the Apostle Paul addressing multiple issues that had cropped up in that church uh, that were threatening their sense of unity, things that were contributing toward their failure to model the gospel in the midst of their city. And now in this letter to the church at Corinth, the church, by the way, that he planted and spent some time with, uh, in this letter, you have Paul going to great lengths to continue to invest in their maturity and their growth. And what he's trying to do is he's showing them the nature of what it means to be a fully devoted servant of Christ. And you also have at multiple times or at multiple points throughout the course of this letter, you have Paul defending his authority as an apostle because there were actual false teachers that were trying to infiltrate the church at Corinth. They were spreading falsehood in the city. They were trying to undercut Paul's authority or undercut Paul's ability to influence or do ministry in that city. And so Paul defends his authority and he confronts those false teachers. And when you look at this book in a general way, we could see that it's a book that shows us what it's like to live as people who are convinced that Jesus is enough for us. That's what Paul was trying to convey to the people. Uh, it reminds us that life is not easy, but life is purposeful. 
and you have deep doctrinal truth presented to us in these pages to help us grow in our faith in Christ. And we also see that Christ is our strength in the midst of our human weakness. We can rely on Christ for strength. Now, when we look at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, there's a variety of principles that come out here as Paul talks about this idea of not losing heart. But one of the things that's shown to us in the first couple verses is this idea that our heart is shown in what we practice. Look again at the first two verses of this chapter. This is what he says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. During the past month or so, um, I've received several phone calls or texts from friends who serve in full-time vocational ministry. They actually serve as pastors. And the theme uh, from both of these men that had reached out to me was that they were so discouraged that they've strongly considered giving up. One of the men has told me that he feels like there's just a very contentious spirit at work in the leadership of his church, and it's discouraging him. It's frustrating him. The other man has uh, mentioned to me that he's struggling with feeling like there's not a lot of fruit from his efforts, and he feels like he can't convince people to join him in the ministry, in the work that he's trying to do in the community that the Lord's placed him in. And both of these friends, both good men, both uh, men who love the Lord and love the churches that the Lord has given them to serve, but both of them feel like giving up. Both are losing heart. And I tried my best to encourage both friends, and I've been keeping them in prayer ever since. But when you look at the Apostle Paul, as the Apostle Paul conducted his ministry, what he's trying to do by these words, as the Holy Spirit inspires him to pen these things down, he's giving us a picture of what it looks like to rely on the Lord's strength so that we won't lose heart in the midst of the opportunities to serve that the Lord has given us. Now, the things in this world that the Lord entrusts to our care as his children are typically referred to as stewardships. We're stewards of the gifts, the talents, the time, the people, the ministries, all of these things that the Lord allows us to temporarily oversee. And the truth is, we will one day give an account to him for how we oversaw what he entrusted to us. And when we look at the Apostle Paul's words and when we look at his actions as they're described in this passage— we can see very clearly that he valued the ministry that the Lord had entrusted to him. And we could see that he was relying on the, the power of God to function in his area of service. We can also see that Paul's heart and Paul's mind were focused on Christ by observing how he carried himself in the midst of this role. Because Paul wasn't underhanded. He wasn't someone who was consumed with worldly gain. He, he wasn't someone who was... Um, trying to make a name for himself. And he wasn't somebody who was going about what he was doing, just trying to seek the praise of men. He functioned in a sincere way. He was always mindful of giving Christ the glory, and he was seeking to point others to Jesus Christ. And while we can see that this was the case for him, we could also see that he did not shy away from pointing out to the Corinthians that the false teachers that they were starting to give a lot of credence to were not men who carried themselves with integrity. Their heart could be seen in what they practiced. And Paul implies that these men didn't hesitate to use underhanded or deceitful practices to try to gain 
a following. And you could see by his words here that these men, these false teachers, were also people who were taking liberties with tampering with God's word when they felt like it served their purpose to do so. Now, I imagine that that had to be very difficult for the Apostle Paul to wrestle with, because he loved this church. But in their immaturity, they were being led astray by persuasive personalities who were functioning in the midst of their culture like false teachers, but they had powerful, influential personalities, and some of the people were buying into their false teaching. And as I was looking at this passage this past week, it reminded me of an experience I had several years ago. Uh, Several years ago, a man who used to attend the church that I pastor invited me out for coffee, which sounds great, uh, but then when I met him, he made it clear to me that the point of his invitation was to tell me what a terrible speaker he thought I was. And his reasoning was, he said, I didn't get angry enough. That when I was speaking, I needed to be more confrontational, he said. I needed to yell at the church when I preached. And he informed me that he formed this opinion because he regularly listened to the messages of a world-famous preacher, and he said, that guy was way better, and that guy was much louder than me, and he wondered, why couldn't I be more like that guy? (laughs) And then he left and left me with the bill for my coffee that he had invited me to have with him. So I thought that was interesting. But ironically, the the world-famous preacher that this man idolized was removed from ministry later that year when that man's heart became evident. He was deposed for being arrogant. He was deposed for being unteachable and unrepentant, and he was removed from serving as a pastor. And I was thinking about that when I looked at this passage, because the truth is, given enough time, Your heart and my heart will be shown to be what it is. If you desire glory for yourself, that will eventually become evident. If your heart's desire is to glorify Christ, that will eventually be shown as well. So in the midst of everything that you're facing, in the midst of everything that I'm facing, one of the principles that we need to learn from this passage is that, yes, our heart is going to become evident by what we practice, but we also need to remember not to lose heart when we face bumps or when we face snags along the way, because these things will come, but Christ's work will ultimately prevail in you and through you. If Christ is at the center of your life, his work will be shown in the fruit that comes out of your life. And Paul expresses that here in this passage. He also shares something else that I think is worth noting, particularly in regard to the things that burden our hearts. And uh, when we look at verses 3 and 4, we could see that our hearts are burdened for those who are perishing when Christ is at the center of our lives. Look again at these verses. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, in this world, there are billions of people. I hear the number uh, sometimes fluctuate between 6 and 7 billion when people give an estimate of how many people are alive on this earth. And many people have come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and many more as of yet have not. And when I think about that statement in a general way, it feels sad. But when I start thinking about it in a personal way, and I picture in my mind the faces of people I love, 
never experiencing a relationship with Christ that results in forgiveness, true peace, everlasting life. It feels tragic, and it feels urgent. But there's something getting in the way of those we love coming to faith in Jesus. Their minds, according to this passage, are being actively, not passively, but actively blinded to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Scripture reveals to us that there is a spiritual realm active, at work, all around us. We don't think about it very much, but it's very real. Scripture reveals that Satan, and that's who the God of this world that's being referred to in Paul's words here, he's using, he's using that as a, as a description for Satan because many people, in effect, are worshiping Satan as their God. But we know that Satan and the legions of demons that serve with him are actively and intentionally blinding the minds of those who don't believe with the goal of keeping them in a persistent state of unbelief. You and I know people who fit this description. You and I used to be people who fit this description. And unless the Holy Spirit intervenes with his power, this is precisely where people will remain. Now, here in the United States, as I'm recording this, this is our Christmas season. This is a time of year that presents unique opportunities to combat this darkness. Um, when I think about the ministry of our local church, there are various things that we do as a church, as part of our programs and the culture of our church, that are evangelistic in nature. But one of the greatest opportunities that the Lord places right in our lap every year where we have the privilege of proclaiming his gospel, is our Christmas Eve service. There are multiple families in the community that I live in that only come through the doors of our church building on Christmas Eve. They do it because it's their tradition. But when you look at their lives, their lives seem to confirm that they are not people of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And yet the Holy Spirit brings them to us each year. And we pray that as they annually hear the, the gospel proclaimed, that he will remove the blinders from their minds and from their hearts and from their souls. And when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, I'm guessing that the Apostle Paul prayed that same sort of thing as he entered into the spiritual darkness of the many cities that he traveled to. He was bringing the light of Christ into that darkness, but he couldn't make anyone believe. A person can only believe in Christ if the Spirit of God opens their eyes to see their need for him. Apart from that, they'll remain in darkness. Paul understood this, and he had compassion on those who were spiritually blind, because he clearly remembered when the same was true of him. Prior to Christ coming to him and allowing him to see, Paul walked in spiritual blindness. In fact, in Acts chapter 26, verses 15 down to verse 18, we see a description of how this interchange with the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ went. And it begins with Paul asking Christ the question, Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan 
to God, then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So that was Paul's experience, and the Lord worked in his heart to develop a burden for those who were still perishing. Christ has granted us the ability through his intervention to see him and to understand who he really is. And you have Paul in this passage calling Christ the image of God. Jesus is God in the flesh, and when our hearts come to embrace that truth, our lives are poured out in worship and devotion to him. And as people who worship him, our hearts are also burdened for those who do not yet know him. One other thing that Paul brings up in 2 Corinthians 4 that I want us to notice is this, and that's this, that our hearts have been enlightened by God. Look at what he says in verse 5 and in verse 6. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul starts this section off by just reminding the Corinthian church that what we proclaim is not ourselves. Uh, Some time ago I had the opportunity to attend some ministry training when I have the opportunity to participate in things like that. I usually take the opportunity, and it was ministry training that was focused on different aspects of church leadership and helping people grow in their walk with Christ. And I was looking forward to the training. I was looking forward to the time of fellowship with other pastors. And, and I was hoping that I would be able to pick up something that would be useful from the presentations. So while I was there, I was hoping to get a little bit more out of the training than I did. But there was someone who was also part of the training who made that very difficult. Uh, One of the men who was at this conference kept interrupting the presenter. Uh, it, It was almost like he was doing it continually. And without fail, he would have a story or a personal example that he was convinced that we all needed to hear. And he would constantly interrupt the presenter so that he could share it. And sadly, the presenter didn't stop him from doing this. And so I had to spend several days hearing this man talk about himself, and it really did take a whole lot out of the value of that training. And this happens too often, and sadly, it isn't something new. We could see by what Paul describes in the book of Second Corinthians that in the city of Corinth, there were people who were proclaiming themselves in their teaching. They were drawing followers unto themselves, but Paul's ministry was different. He was pointing people to Christ. He said that his message was one that proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and himself as a servant of the church for Jesus' sake. I like that mindset, and I think we would do well to take note of it. Because Christ is our Lord, and we are his servants who, as our faith matures, delight in serving one another without asking anything in return. And as our hearts grow in this understanding, you have Christ working through us to shine his light in the midst of the darkness of this world. It's Christ's desire to shine his light through your life that more will come to see him and trust him as Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul understood and was trying to convey to the Corinthians. And that's what we're to understand as we grow in our walk with Christ, that Christ wants to shine his light through our lives 
so that others will come to see him and trust him as Lord. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 down to verse 16, Jesus speaks of this, and this is what he says. We read, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture as Christ encourages us to shine as his lights in this world. Because many people that we love are walking in darkness. But one of the benefits we have of knowing Christ is that he has enlightened our hearts. He's invited us to serve as his witness. But what does it mean to live with an enlightened or with an illuminated heart while we're in the midst of the darkness of this world? What difference does that make? Well, let me suggest a few areas where it makes a huge difference. I think, first of all, Scripture reveals to us that as our hearts are enlightened or illuminated with the truth of the gospel of Christ, we develop a heart that is sensitive to what grieves the heart of God. I think another benefit is that we can also discern the will of God for our lives. And if you want to follow up on that at some point, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 speaks to that issue. I think another area of benefit is that we're not living a deceived life that buys into the false promises of sin. And I think one other thing that's worth noting is that our hearts can be lifted out of circumstantial depression that's caused by false belief. So often, it's easy to adopt false belief into our minds and into our hearts, and the truth is sometimes we preach false beliefs to our hearts that are so out of line with what the gospel actually says. But as Christ enlightens our minds, as he illuminates our heart, as his Holy Spirit accomplishes this in you and me, we become more discerning when it comes to false belief. We start to realize that certain things that we're preaching to our own hearts aren't lining up with what the gospel actually says and aren't things that reflect the way that the Lord actually looks at us. And by God's grace, his gospel confronts those false beliefs. I read a story recently about uh, a young lady, I guess we'd say she was just a girl at the time, who was really struggling with some false belief in her life because of a physical disability that she was dealing with. And let me take a moment to read a portion of this story to you. It was about a young girl named Mary, and this is what it says. Mary had grown up knowing that she was different from the other kids, and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate and had to bear the jokes and stares of cruel children who teased her nonstop about her misshapen lip, crooked nose, and garbled speech. With all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was convinced that no one outside her family could ever love her until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face, and shiny brown hair. And while everyone in her class liked her, Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard. In the 1950s, it was common for teachers to give their children an annual hearing test. However, in Mary's case, in addition to her cleft palate, she was barely able to hear out of one ear. 
determined not to let the other children have another difference to point out. She would cheat on the test each year. The whisper test was given by having a child walk to the classroom door, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then repeat something which the teacher whispered. Mary turned her bad ear towards her teacher and pretended to cover her good ear. She knew that teachers would often say things like, the sky is blue, or what color are your shoes? But not on that day. Surely God put seven words in Mrs. Leonard's mouth that changed Mary's life forever. When the whisper test came, Mary heard the words, I wish you were my little girl. That story was shared by a man named John Trent, who is the vice president of today's family. But when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, and when you look at his ministry, and when you look at the things that he says in this passage, we realize that Paul didn't lose heart because he knew that the Lord loved him. The Lord was glad to call Paul his son. And this was something that encouraged Paul greatly. And I wonder, are our hearts convinced that the Lord loves us that same way? The truth is, when that becomes our firm belief, we won't lose heart. Rather, the pattern of our lives will display that we're burdened for what burdens Christ, and the light of Christ will beam through us as our hearts have been illuminated with his presence, and false beliefs that have crept into our minds and into our hearts will be confronted, and we will approach each and every day firmly convinced that we are deeply loved by our Lord. That's his desire for us, and that's what combats losing heart. I don't know what you're in the midst of experiencing. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial right now. Maybe things are going fine. But we all know that in every life, there are ups and there are downs. There are moments that are hard. There are moments that are easy. But those hard moments put us in a spot where our faith gets stretched and our prayer life becomes activated in a very real way. And if you're tempted to lose heart, please remember the example that Paul gives to us in this passage of what it means to be empowered by Christ and convinced of his love, even in the midst of deep adversity that rocks you emotionally. That's God's will for us, that we would understand how deeply loved we are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it today. And Lord, as we meditate on the truth of this passage today, we pray that you would bring these truths to our mind in the midst of seasons when we're tempted to lose heart or when we're really struggling to understand the depth of your love for us. Lord, you delight in the fact that you call us your children. You don't regret the fact that you've drawn us unto yourself. And you love us deeper than we can even fathom or imagine. And so, Lord, I pray that in the midst of any adversity that we experience, anything in the near future, anything in the distance, that we would be convinced of the depth of your love and that by your grace, in your strength and power, that we would not lose heart. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the promises of your word and for the things that your word reveals to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. 
And as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, if you'd like to help this ministry to continue, there are three quick ways that you could offer your support. One is becoming a monthly contributor, and you could do that at pastor.us. Uh, you could also purchase resources at pastor.us that hopefully, by God's grace, will help you to grow in your walk with Christ. And as we also mentioned, if you'd be willing to leave a rating or review for the podcast on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful. So that's all for this episode. Be sure to visit us online at pastor.us, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Thanks again. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.